following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Open your Bibles, if you would, and stand with me for the reading of God's Word to Jonah chapter number 4. Jonah chapter 4. And we are going to, by God's grace, uh, conclude this morning our study in the book of Jonah. Next week, uh, Lord permitting, we are going to begin in the book of Amos and... um, Because of the schedule that we have before us, in order for me to get Amos in effectively, I'm going to have to do Sunday morning and Sunday night in the book of Amos. And so we'll be in, uh, I'm going to try to make it like a part one, part two each uh, day. So part one will be in the morning and part two will be in the evening. And so you can set your schedules now. We do meet in the evenings, yes. Um, and uh, just so you know, if you want the full picture of the book of Amos, uh, we're going to, between now and Christmas, um, be going over that in both morning and evening services. So just so you know where we're heading next, you can begin your studies as well. Look with me at the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter number four, where the Lord reads this way, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up uh, over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But, Jonah, or but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, and it withered. And it came to pass, when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished him in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, 
which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? Father, bless, we pray, the reading of your word to our hearts and our lives to its application. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've looked at uh, several things uh, through this study of Jonah. Uh, We've noticed many different truths as we've gone through it. Uh, One thing that remains very clear through our study in Jonah is the fact that God is always right. Always right. No matter what, he is always right. He is always in control, always in control. Even when we mess things up with our foolish disobedience, he is still in control. I've had many people through the years tell me, well, I I believe that this is what God wanted, but then I made these decisions and I made these mistakes, and now God doesn't want that anymore. My friend, I, I, I would love to shake your hand because I have yet to meet the person who can ruin the plans of God, and I guess if you can do that, you, my friend, are one amazing individual to be able to ruin the maker's plans and designs. I mean, think about it for just a minute. That we think that we, as fallible and small and insignificant as we truly are, can mess up the plans of Almighty God who knows yesterday and tomorrow and today at the same moment. He knows all things, all times. He is outside of it. He is not restricted by space, time, or any, uh, any other uh, material type of a thing. Uh, he is not restricted by any of this, and yet we think that we can stop the plans of God. <laughs> We must think we are greater than God. One thing is abundantly clear when we study the book of Jonah here. God is God, and we are not. That's a beautiful truth. It's a wonderful thing to realize. I don't know about you, but it takes a lot off of my shoulders when I realize who is God and who is not. I don't have to. He did. I can't sustain myself, he does. I can't bring myself into existence. I mean, we we think about these things and and we we scratch our heads and we wonder, well, uh, okay, so where does God come from, right? Uh, If uh, if everything had to have a beginning, then God must have had a beginning, right? Uh, My friend, that's when you put God inside. The only thing that could create or, or uh, uh, initiate creation, must be something outside of it. It cannot be bound by itself. It cannot be wrapped up in itself. We don't believe in a God that had a beginning because we believe that God is the one that made the beginning. People, well, that, that's ludicrous. These same people who would say that that's ludicrous believe that in the beginning there was nothing and then an explosion from a single particle. You can't have nothing and something at the same time. Either at the beginning there was nothing or there was something. 
I believe in the beginning, God. Makes a little bit more sense than nothing exploded. And that's just stupid. I, I, I mean, sheer logic dictates that nothing is not possible to explode. It just doesn't happen. So something had to initiate it. Even Stephen Hawking in his uh, uh, A Brief History of Time brings everything back and he says, at the end of everything, there had to have been a beginning to time. If there was a beginning of time, but nothing existed there. If there was a beginning to time, but there was no place. You see, it doesn't work. There had to have begun the beginning of space in order to have a place for the time to exist. So which came first, the time or the place? And what existed at that moment and in that place? You see, matter had to exist at the same time, at the same moment that time began, matter had to, be, had to be there. At the same moment that time began, a place for it to be had to be there. You, you have to have all three, time, matter, and space at the same moment. And the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that is logical to that is in the beginning, God brought them all three into existence at the same, be, at the same moment. Doesn't make sense any other way. No one can explain it any better than God. God is always in control. Always. As we look at this and as we come to our conclusion in this study of Jonah, we must be clear as to our application in personal matters. We must learn to find application in every part of Scripture, in every single aspect of the Word of God. When it comes in and we look at it and we dissect it, uh, Paul told Timothy in in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said, uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The question is not, how can I know what to do? The question is, now that I know, will I do what God's word says? That's the question. The question that we need to be ironing out is not, how can I know what is right and wrong? It's, will I be willing to do what God's word says? And so as we come to the conclusion here, My hope is that as we see Jonah's complaint, his careless complaint, and God's compassionate counsel, and then finally God's uh, uh, all-inclusive care, as we look at these things, my hope is that we will start to apply what Jonah should have applied to his life. We will apply this to our heart as well. You see, we have the privilege of hindsight as we look at Jonah. Look with me, if you would, there at the beginning of chapter 4 again. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. What displeased Jonah? Well, if you look back at verse number 10 of chapter 3, it says, and God saw their works. Whose? The people of Nineveh. It says, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. In other words, God saw that they were remorseful, that they were repentant for their sins. They turned from their actions. They stopped living the way they were living. And God said, okay, 
I'll stay my hand of judgment then. I will give you mercy. I will be gracious unto you. And he did not bring the punishment that they rightly deserved. And this angered Jonah. I mean, we, we look at this and we're like, how in the world can someone be so selfish, so foolish, so arrogant to get upset at, at God sparing a, 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 an entire civilization? We do this stuff too. We just don't necessarily want to admit it. But it's sadly, it's not an uncommon thing for those who consider themselves faithful believers to manifest unkind attitudes. Even the devout quite often reject God's will. We do this. Even the most pious and devout of individuals can reject God's will. Think about it. Paul spoke of... uh, of this in 1 Corinthians 13, if you would uh, happen to look there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We know this as the love chapter. It's heard at a lot of weddings. Love is this, and love is that, love is not this, love is not that. Look with me, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at the first three verses. Look what Paul says here. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, if if I have the ability to preach just as good as an angel could, if I had the ability, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understand everything, and God, I mean, here's Jonah. Jonah's a prophet. He had the gift of prophecy, right? I mean, he was, he was able to hear exactly what the word of the Lord was. He knew it, he heard it, but it says, Paul says, if I don't have love, worthless. Sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. Paul understood it. He got it. He knew what it was. Sadly, many faithful believers manifest unkind attitudes. And even those who observe forms of piety reject God's will. Many today act the same way that Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. They show up for church week after week. They even are maybe active in service as some sort of teacher or or some other uh, uh, type of uh, ministry. But in their hearts, they have no real love. They're just doing it because it's what's expected of them. They complain about all the decisions that are made. They reject to follow any direction that is given to them. They pretend to go along, yet they do their own thing. They have no desire because they really, truly have no love. My friend, if if you get involved, I I, I had a young man that was involved in my bus ministry at, at Grace many years ago. 
And he just loved the buses and those kids. And I said, you're doing it for the wrong reason. It's the love of Christ. The love of Christ, because there's going to come a day. Look, I, I was that kid. I was that kid who could go to church, never step outside the building, and come home with grass stains. I was that kid. Mrs. Lake, we don't know how it happened. We weren't even outside, but he's, he's got grass stains everywhere. I was that kid that spent the majority of Sunday school and junior church in the corner with his nose on the wall. And that was in the day that you were allowed to do that. You do that today, you'll end up on the 11 o'clock news. But the nose was on the wall. Andy, did you get in trouble in class today? No. Andy, how long were you in the corner? Just a little while. How long's a little while, son? Let's see. We sang one song, and then I went to the corner. That was me. I was that kid. And listen to me. You're going to have some of those kids in your life. If you've never known that kid, it's probably you. You're probably that person. But understand something. If the only reason that guy, Harold, Harold Johnson, the only reason that, I'm sorry, Harold Stevens, the only reason he ever came was because he loved the kids, he'd have quit as soon as I entered his class because he wouldn't have loved this one. But he loved the Lord. He went home to be with the Lord just a couple years ago. He stopped teaching just a couple years before that. Not because he loved the kids, not because he loved puppets, not because he loved children's ministry, but because he loved God. Jonah, though, he, uh, he acts a certain way and he, he rejects a certain way. and He has what we refer to as a bad attitude. Look with me, if you would, back in Jonah chapter 4. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. It wasn't just, oh, well, this isn't what I wanted. He was furious. The wording that is used here gives the idea that he was filled with indignation and wrath. It says he prayed unto the Lord. Have you ever talked to the Lord when you're angry? I have. Oh, furious. Just beside myself with ire, just ready to rip someone's skull off. Lord, if you don't kill him, I will. Right? You been there? Look at me like a bunch of pious gas bags. I have never felt that way. Yeah. This altar ought to be open, wide open right now, and y'all can come confess the sin of lying. You and I both know you've been that bad. I've called out to God in those moments. I look here at Jonah, and like I said, it's easy for us to look at hindsight and see Jonah. It's easy for us to take this bubble approach over Jonah. But here's what I want us to do today. Step back from your own life and your own self for a moment and look at Jonah and put yourself there and examine your life for just a minute 
and ask yourself, maybe don't, no, no, let's not even do that. Don't ask yourself. Ask God to reveal to you how you have been Jonah. I mean, look at his attitude here. You know, there are some, uh, there are some professing believers who are so long-faced they could eat corn out of a Coke bottle. They have, they have the ability to bring gloom and doom on the sunniest of days. You can walk out of your house, and it's rare around this portion of the country, but you walk out and it's a blue sky. Birds are chirping in the distance. It's a wonderful 74 degrees, not too hot, not too cold. Everything is just right. You walk out and you look at your lawn and it's perfectly manicured. There's not a thing that you have to do. And then one of these self-proclaimed pious words and and mouthpieces of God have to show up and say, yeah, well, it's probably going to rain tomorrow. Enjoy the blessing for a moment, please. Do you really have to? Don't, Don't do that. But there are people who, I mean, they seriously, they, yes, I'm saved and I'm going my way to heaven and I'm, I, I love the Lord, but it looks like they were weaned on a persimmon. Do we have to be that way? But we look at the attitude of Jonah here. Many of us have that same kind of attitude. You know, no one wants to be around this kind of person. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. So upset at what God did for someone else. So jealous. So mad. Here's Jonah. Let's, let's give him, maybe he is overcome with self-pity because he was afraid that he would be personally humiliated. Think about it. How would you like to be the guy that went to everyone's enemy? I mean, bless his heart, Billy Graham, you know, he'd sit with the wrong politician and pastors would light him up. How dare they? Bunch of modern-day Jonas. At least someone's sitting across the table from some of these guys telling them what they need, and that's a relationship with Christ. Here he is. He's, uh, maybe he's not alone in his hatred. Maybe he feared judgment by other pious friends and other prophets that, that he knew. I don't know. Maybe like Jonah... Many spend a lot of time blaming God for not only what he does or does not do, but many of them spend a lot of time blaming God for their own rebellion and disobedience. Are you you one of those? Are you one that blames God? You know, look at verse 2. He says, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I fled. God, it's your fault that I ran away. I knew this was going to happen. It, it, it amazes me here. Amazes me. Just a few moments earlier, just back in chapter number two, uh, uh, he... Excuse me, he uh, is praying and he's talking to the Lord and he has a heart of thanksgiving. Jonah had a heart of gratitude. And then just a few moments later, just a couple days down the road, 
back to bitterness and hatred. Isn't that amazing? You see, many have a grudge against God, yet they simply will not admit it. And their problem is the same problem Jonah had. Look at Jonah's problem. He admits it in verse 2. He says that, that he, therefore he fled before into Tarshish. Notice the last half of it. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. We need to be careful with this. We need to be careful that we don't blame God for our disobedience. Isaiah 45, 9 says, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let, uh, let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou? Or thy work <laughs> hath, no, hath no hands. Here's what, here's what it's saying. That lump of clay that the potter is working with, the potter doesn't go, hey, what are you making? I'm making a pot. And he starts to fashion it, and the pot doesn't go, hey, you haven't put arms on this thing yet. That'd be stupid, right? That'd be foolishness. Then why is it that we question God at every turn? Hey, why did you allow that to happen to me? Hey, why didn't you intervene on this? What, hey, you're messing this thing up here. You're doing it wrong. I've asked many people through the years, what would you have done if you were God in that situation? Well, this is how I would have handled it. Well, it's good to know that you finally admitted that you know better than God. Because that's really what it is at the end of the day. We've got to be careful with this and not be blaming God for everything. But Jonah has a problem with God, but not just with God. He has a problem with God's character. He, he, he says it right here. He says, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. How did Jonah know this? The word of God. Let's try Exodus 34, 6 through 7. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in goodness and, and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions of sin. Uh, and what about Numbers 14, 18, which says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Uh, Nehemiah 9.17 says, But you, thou, O Lord, are ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in kindness, and did not forsake them. Psalm 86.15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Psalm 145.8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. And Joel, chapter number 2, verse 13, we just studied the book of Joel. He says, and rend your heart, not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repent of him of the evil. This is something that was to be known by God. And here's what made Jonah mad the most, is that God, in keeping with his character, showed mercy. It bothered Jonah. It upset him. Now, before you think, well, that would never bother me, how many of us have someone in our life that we refuse to forgive? And we would get upset. It's one thing for God to forgive him, but I don't want to be in heaven with him. Whoa. 
Well, God can forgive him, but I never will. Whoa. If we were really honest, we're pretty cheesed off that God forgave him. So you're telling me he's going to have to live with, for eternity with me? That woman is going to go into the same heaven I am? Well, be easy. It's time for us to just admit we can be just like Jonah. We need to move along here. We see God's compassionate counsel starting in verse number four. It says, Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? I want you to notice something between four and five here. I don't know about you, but this stuck out, stuck out to me like a sore thumb. Look, verse four, the Lord said, Dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city. He doesn't even respond. God asks him a question and he just walks away. that's audacity. Do you really have any reason to be mad? (laughs) Now, that's pretty amazing. I'm sure that there's never been a time in your marriage or your upbringing that you didn't give a response, right? And we can say, well, Jonah just, he loved the Lord so much he didn't want to say the wrong thing. Bull butter. Read the rest of the chapter. He just didn't want to talk. So we're done. Talk to the hand. I'm out. God asks Jonah if he has any right. You know, you can tell a lot about people by how they respond. And sometimes you can tell even more by their lack of response. You can tell where their spiritual situation is when you ask a question, and, and sometimes it drives people absolutely nuts when they, they come to you and they want to air their complaint, they want to tell you their problem, and you just simply respond with a question, and they're like, I don't want to think about it. I just want to live in my anger for a moment. Who do you think you are to ask me a question, right? This is what God's, God says, do you have any right to be angry? And he just storms off. You can tell a lot about a person's spiritual condition. And I love the way God does not give Jonah a rebuke at this point. I mean, think about it. I remember as a child, there would be times that I would storm away from my parents and my dad would follow right along. Don't you talk to your mother that way, boy. Don't you look, don't you act. I brought you in this world. I could take you out. I love the way God, he, he doesn't flick him in the back of the head. He reasons with him. He reasons with him. God just wanted Jonah to think. Pusey says of this in his book on the Minor Prophets, it says, what the Lord says to Jonah, he says to all who are angry. If they are angry, not with men, but with the sins of men, they hate but, and persecute not men, but the vices of men. They are rightly angry, and their zeal is good. But if they are angry at men and hate men rather than the sins of men and the vices of men, their anger is amiss, and their zeal is bad. 
kind of sum that up for you. Anger directed at the sin of men and the vices of men. That's, that's good. Be angry at the sin. But when that anger and hatred becomes directed at the person, that's when you've just crossed the line. I've heard people say, well, the Bible doesn't actually say be angry. and Or the Bible doesn't actually say to love the sinner and, and hate the sin. It teaches. It teaches it. There's a lot of stuff in Scripture that you're not going to find an exact phrase for, but the, the principle is there. If you look again here, Jonah, notice what it says in verse number 6. And the Lord prepared a gourd. Now, having verbally spoken to Jonah and getting nowhere, God decides to give a visual aid to try to regain the prophet's reasoning. And so God prepares a gourd to grow quickly as Jonah watches. And apparently it grew up overnight. And some people are like, well, what kind of plant was that? You know, I've read some commentaries that they they get into, well, it was probably the castor oil plant. I really don't care. I hate questions like that. Well, what kind of gourd do you think it was? Was it zucchini? I don't care. It was a miraculous event that he goes out and he builds himself a booth and he sits there so that he can watch and he can pay attention because he didn't think that the repentance was going to be very long-lived. He thought it was going to be just a short amount of time before God rained fire and brimstone down on him and he wanted a front-row seat and God graciously makes a gourd to grow up overnight to give him some shade. I don't care what kind it was. You go plant 5,000 different gourds, come back and give me the report. I still won't care. God made something miraculous happen. Don't rob that from him. But here's what's interesting. The second thing I like to point out here is God is involved with Jonah. You see the word? It says in verse 6, and the Lord prepared. Look at verse 7. But God prepared. Look at verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared. You know this word prepared? It's the Hebrew word manach. And that word just simply means he appointed it to be so. God actually brought it into play. You go back to chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord prepared a great fish. Go swallow him. Grow. Bite that. Blow. This is God moving. (laughs) These aren't just circumstances that just happen to happen. God is saying, I'm trying to get your attention. And he is working in the life of Jonah in very intricate ways, using all that is at his disposal. Fish, come over here, swallow that. Uh, You, start to grow. Uh, Germinate now, because when he builds that, I'm going to, yep, you're ready. All right, hold on right there. Worm, start, get get over here. You're going to have to bite that. I know you don't like the taste of it, but bite it anyway. That wind, I want you to blow this direction, not from that direction. Wind, 
This is God trying to get the attention of a rebellious man. And you know what's amazing? He does the same for you. I'm going to make this thing happen in your father's life. I'm going to take this situation in your mother's life. Your grandparents, I'm going to move here like this. And this is, I'm going to allow that to happen because I want these two things to take place so that they're going to bring about this situation in your life and then you're going to see me. Maybe you would not have seen Christ if those situations didn't come about. And God's trying to get your attention. Hey, I'm over here. That's what he's saying. Through it all, just wanting to get your attention. Never forget something. Never forget that even when times are dark and we feel distant from God, our Heavenly Father is still actively working. Now, here's a man who believed God, ran from him, and God's getting his attention going, hey, buddy, hey, hey, I still love you. I still want you. I'm still involved. I'm still working. I love that kid's song that we sing. We stopped singing it. For some reason, we graduate children's ministries and some of the best songs disappear. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Think about it. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, all the sun, the earth, Jupiter, Mars. Yeah. Man, how loving and patient he is. I mean, he's got to be loving and patient, right? He's still working on me. (laughs) What a good, gracious God. Again, God asks Jonah to think because Jonah gets upset. He gets mad because he's hot and he's about to pass out. And God said to Jonah in verse 9, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? Again, trying to get his attention. Let's look at this and then we'll be done. Jonah, blinded by his personal piety and comfort, They don't deserve your forgiveness. Blinded by his personal comfort, why am I, the servant of God, hot? Why am I having a hard time? Don't worry about that. Why am I having a difficulty? Blinded by all of these things. He had care, though, of a temporal plant. Upset about a plant that was that was meant for temporary enjoyment of one person. And God is more concerned with a great city. Notice what God says about this great city in verse 11. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? You see, here's... Here's what we need to see with this. God is concerned with the city, and it says, it says this um, uh, 120,000, put it in numbers that we're familiar with. 
120,000. And he says, now a lot of commentaries are different on this. They believe that that 120,000 of people who can't discern their left hand from their right hand, that means that they are ignorant of the ways of God. Uh, And other commentaries, and this is where I land, children that don't even understand left from right yet. And so that would put the population of around 600,000 people. And Jonah is more concerned with this plant than he is 600,000 eternal souls. Now, before we blow a raspberry at Jonah, let's get serious about ourselves for a minute. We do this too. We focus on what we like what's more important to us than the eternal things of God. You know, there are some people who would actually rather not confess their need of salvation because they fear what people may think about them. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. What... What if it's someone who has been in church for any extended period of time? And they're afraid to admit that they need a Savior just as much as the next person does. They're afraid to admit this. Because, well, what if people say, I thought they were already saved? Well, why is that person praying? Why is that? Hey, don't worry about what anybody else says. You get things right between you and God. And if they think that, they need to get right with God. Because I don't care who you are. If you get your life right with God and you start and get that relationship with him developed, (laughs) I'm going to rejoice. There's some people who would say, well, uh, you know, my mama uh, thinks that she led me to the Lord. And if, if I admit that, I wasn't actually saved. I might hurt my mama's feelings. Don't worry about your mama's feelings. Get right with God. You know, there are some people who will not let go of a certain sin in their lives because then they're going to have to admit that they were wrong. They're holding on to the temporal. There's some that will not let go of sin because they cannot admit God is right. <laughs> Beloved, we are not God. And the sooner we realize that, and the sooner we accept it, the sooner our relationship with Him will be right. So, in our study, we have seen God presented in four ways. He is inescapable, but he is merciful, and he is gracious, and he's infallible. So, how do we apply this? Let me give you four things quickly. I'm closing my Bible. You know I'm done. You can wake up the guy next to you. He's inescapable. You cannot run from God. You cannot neglect what he has called you to do. 
has he called you to do something today? You can't escape it. He is God. He is everywhere. He is not bound by space and time the way you and I are. He's God. He's merciful. Do you see the many mercies that God has shown to you? Each moment that God does not strike us dead and does not give us what we deserve is mercy. Each moment. Every moment that I am not struck down for my disobedience is mercy. Are you you rejoicing in that? in the grace and mercy of God. He's gracious. And so it's time for us to realize how all we receive from God is something that we do not deserve. We earn punishment, not grace. You know, God does not bless disobedience. He does bless obedience, but his blessing is still a grace, and grace is undeserved. If you really think about it, our obedience does not outweigh our disobedience. So we did not get something that we earned. Our disobedience highly outweighs our obedience, but God blesses our obedience. That's grace. And last, God is infallible. He's always right. Always. And any attempt that we make to prove him wrong will only prove our foolishness. So I tell you this as we close. Quit arguing with the word of God. You're just going to come up short Every time we argue with the word of the Lord, we are proving ourselves fools. God is always right, never wrong. We need to obey. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would aid us as we commit ourselves to obeying you. And Father, you promised already to give to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So thank you for giving to us your word, which does just that. Lord, would you expose to us our need of a Savior? Expose to us our need of your mercy. Reveal your grace to us. And Lord, help us to remember that you are God and that we are not. Now, Father, I believe that there may be some here today that do not know you as personal Savior. I understand that. And so, God, I'm asking that you would save those who do not know you. And that, Father, those who are on the fence about a relationship with you would come to a better understanding of just how much you love them, just how much you're invested in their heart and their life, just how much you want to reach them and and, and have that relationship with them. And for them to turn away from that is a waste 
of the days of the grace of God. And so, Father, there are many here today who claim to know you as Lord and Savior, but perhaps they're struggling with a certain obedience in their life. But today's the day that they want to give that over to you completely. I pray, Lord, that you would stir in their heart as well. And that, Father, we would be given to living lives of complete and immediate obedience. Because it's for you and you alone we live. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.